I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life. Part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to the 358th episode of the OfficialGunnyGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Hi, I'm from episode 329. Oh, wow. You're back in time. That's a callback. Mm -hmm. Also with us, of course, is SP. Hey, guys. How's it going? This is just fun. This is great. We're in the holiday season, and we're running on the end of the year, which I think Everybody can't get there fast enough this time around. <laughs> if you didn't know this, we usually stream the show live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time at www.geeks.live. That's what we do with this show here is we stream it live. We've got a great chat room. But here's the thing. Today, we're recording this on Monday, December 14th, and it's the last recording session of the year because... We like to take a little time off in between, but don't worry. You got one more episode after this one. You got this one and 359, and then we'll have a week off. So the next live recording that you're going to want to come on by is Monday, January 4th, 2021. And I was told that with the next couple weeks, over the next few weeks, Chris Farrell is going to shave off his beard. I heard he's going to take the whole thing off entirely. Dude, you missed it when I did that earlier this year. I'm not doing it again. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I was trying to give Hmm. people a reason to come back, but there's no reason anymore. I might actually grow a beard between now and then. That's true. That is true. I might review a Mac computer. There you go. There's a there's a tease. A little tease, tease. Interesting. Did not maybe real real. Are you taking my advice from before? Is that what you did? Did you watch the episode that you weren't on, and then you decided to go for it? I'm bored and I want to play with something, so I might play with a new computer. I haven't even decided yet. I don't Get really yourself need it, a so PS5. Play with no, that. No, I have an Xbox Series X. I don't need a PS5 also. Oh, yeah. You say that now. There's no must-have game for me yet. By the way, guys, this is a very special day. I don't know if it's special up in Canada, but it's very special down in the United States of America because this is, I've heard it called a bunch of things, but this is vaccine day. So the vaccine for the pandemic was is distributed overnight and it was given to hospital workers and healthcare workers nationwide in the limited qual quantities that was there but this is the first day of it so this is vaccine day yes we actually committed uh, had it approved before you guys technically speaking and today was also the first day i believe so I don't care when it was approved as long as it starts to get shots in arms. That's what really counts. So yes. uh, the UK did it last week. So Canada, it's just today. So what a momentous day. Plus we get not one, but two recordings of the com show. So this is a very special day. Why did you have to start off with good news and then go to the bad news? Uh, you know, you kind of sandwich good news, bad news, good news. And I got some good news later. So. Well, let's go ahead and go on to that news right now. 
I want to go ahead and start us off with a little personal news before we get to my actual news point. And that is that about- you're pregnant. Yeah, I've been showing for a while. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I wanted to let you know that if I wanted to, as of an hour ago, I could get into the Starlink beta. Yes, I got my invite for the Starlink beta, but I'm not going to because mm. it's extremely expensive. I, I guess I signed up back when, like, out of interest back when they didn't announce prices, and it's really expensive, and the speeds would be much slower than what I have now. I was going to ask the, about the speeds. Yeah, what's what's the speeds? Well, they in their email say expect data speeds to vary from 50 to 150. And as a reminder, I got 300, 300 now and could go up to like one. I think they might even do 1.5 now on, on my I assume fiber. that's downlink. What about the uplink? Uh, they don't say they, they they don't actually say what the uplink would be that they just gave that as a general number. And then the cost that they say would be about $649 Canadian up front. And then the monthly subscription would be $129. Now, I pay significantly less than $129 a month for my internet, and it's much faster. So this email will probably find the way that a bunch of podcaster group emails that I still happen to get will go, which is into my your trash bin. Well, that's not actually, if you think in terms of you're living out in the middle of nowhere, like yeah. uh, Chris, for instance, I know you're in a metropolis area. I know you have good internet, but not too far away from you, Chris, there are places where they don't have internet. They don't have fiber. They don't have DSL. They don't have cable out uh, to them. I would think that those type of areas, those rural areas where you would have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to string some sort of cable to your house as an upfront fee. If you're just paying that like $650 for a dish, I assume, and some sort of a modem or a downlink box or something like that, I think that's pretty reasonable. And then if you equate the internet fees that you have to pay now, just me, like 80 bucks or whatever, if I don't have that available if i'm going off the grid so to speak 120 bucks that's not much at all so i would think that in rural areas or places that don't have internet uh, streamed to them that stuff like starlink is going to be a godsend to a it, lot of people it's also going to come into play where they don't have the infrastructure yet because even in the town i live in which is the university town there are neighborhoods that have been developed that don't have access to high-speed internet not even dsl is available in their neighborhood. One of my friends moved there probably three, four years ago and has been trying to get high speed out there. And the, and the county commission has been trying to do various different pilot projects to do different WiMAX installations, things like that, that haven't panned out. So he's actually signed up for this beta or on the waiting list, rather trying to find out whether he's going to get it, but it would be huge for him. And literally four houses down from him, they have cable service. <sighs> Comcast isn't going to run it out any further because they say the network can't support it. It's at capacity right now, which I tend to think is not necessarily true considering they're building out all over across town. They just don't want to pay the infrastructure cost to run cable to hook up this entire rest of the neighborhood. So right now he's working from home using the Wi-Fi hotspot on his cell phone to connect Oof. his computer to the, the uh, cellular network and VPN into his work machines. And it's okay. But you do know most cell phone providers cap how much you can get out of your Wi-Fi hotspot before you drop down to speeds that are just untenable. Yeah. Even the 5G that I have on my phone, you guys, I think one of you has 5G now. 
I, yes. Yeah, Chris does. Yeah, even the 5G is is not as good as advertised uh, uh, that you can get in terms of speed and, and content and stuff like Spoiler that. Spoiler so. alert, LTE is often faster than 5G right now. <laughs> well, I believe it because yeah. I've actually done speed tests myself. Yeah. In any case, like, yeah, it's not a terrible price if you're in that situation. Like, it's 129 bucks Canadian uh, per month uh, is what they're saying in this email. But just for me, like, it's not. It, why would I do that when I pay less, get a more reliable and a faster speed connection as it is? So I, I suspect their algorithm may have m- misgiven me the invite just because of my location. They might think that I'm in an area that doesn't get it because I heard they mm. were focusing originally with the beta with people who don't have access to really good internet and I do. So I think I, I can't really explain more beyond that. Like it's just, if you knew where I lived, you could see why they would think that I, I might be one of them people. I think you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity to call ET directly. That's true. But let's go into my real news here, which is kind of along these lines. And it's that it's a bad week for SMS. Yes. Apparently, there's been a couple of weird things that came up this week. There was an iOS glitch that came that ended up dropping SMS messages. A few days ago, Mac Rumors reported that many iPhone 12 users were complaining of a bug that was in the built-in SMS app, and apparently, incoming texts were occasionally just gone. They were going away. This was in both single and group messages, and also notifications of these messages were not coming through. The beginning reports did say that it or did seem to indicate that it was mostly just the iPhone 12 and the, of course, you know, built in messages app. But then some things changed and it looked like maybe it was actually an iOS problem because there was other issues that came up, including in other messenger apps like Signal and WhatsApp. So it looked like it was more of an iOS glitch rather than just an iPhone 12 messages glitch. That was the first thing that came up. And if you're sitting there and you're going, wow, sucks to be an Apple user right now. Well, hold your horses because while it does, not for this specific reason, I'm just joking. uh, There was also an issue on the Android side of things because earlier this week, looks like Google pushed out a bad copy of what's called the Carrier Services app. This is just one of the many elements that makes up Android. And what happened was this broke SMS on many Android phones. The carrier services is something that is technically updated through the Play Store, if you didn't know that, like a lot of the components are within Android, and this ended up happening. And when they pushed out version 50, it affected many users from a variety of different phones, including those made by Samsung, OnePlus, LG, Motorola, and several others. So they did, of course, recommend if you're having those issues to downgrade back to 48 of the carrier services, which I don't know exactly how you do that because I didn't have the problem probably because I own a Pixel and I'm sure they tested this on Pixels. So bad week all around for SMS, whether you're an Android user or an iPhone user, bad week. I think they had the update out that same day though on Android from what I recall, because I remember reading something about it, but I went, you know, if my text messages don't work right now, I'm okay with it because I'm on vacation and I don't want anyone from work texting me. (laughs) And oh, that's why you didn't respond to my message. You don't have my actual, actually you do have my real phone number now that I think about it. I was setting you up for a joke. You could have gone, yeah, yeah, that was the reason why. God, you're supposed to throw me shade, Chris Farrell. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, don't, I ignore your messages most of the time, but if go. you texted Thank me, I might. It'd be a different notification. I'd go the hell, <laughs> and I'd have to check it. SP, you actually have an iPhone 12. Did you did you encounter this? I don't know when this supposedly started. The only message that I had a problem with that didn't go through was on Tuesday at 4 p.m. So uh, six days ago. I have no idea when this supposedly started. But yeah, that it, it was dropped and it I had to resend it because I'm sure the recipient, which was my son, did not actually receive it. I didn't hear from him until the next day. So I assume that's what was happening there. But I don't know for sure. Well, if you had this happen, I'm sorry that it happened. And I was going to say, don't use SMS. But again, apparently on the iOS side of things, it affected more than SMS. So I don't can know. you come up with a problem with Teams that, you know, I can't? <laughs> You know, communicate on Teams so that I can't actually do work. I stand by my statement. The problem is that it exists. Why don't we run a fake story sometime on this and then you can cite us as a resource or as a source to your workplace? Sounds like a good idea for me, but then they would find out that I would be doing this podcast. That, so that uh, seems who knows more, what's going to happen then? It also seems morally dubious. That's never stopped us before. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, come on. This is a good and geek show. Where, where, where's your podcast ethics? Fair enough. It's all about ethics in podcasting. We, we actually did a show on that on Better Podcasting. You can find that at betterpodcasting.com. There's the SP plug, I know. There you go. I haven't done it in a while, have I? All right. Speaking of plugs, I don't know how that segues, but SN8, boom. <laughs> it could have used a plug in its tank, actually. So for those of you that have been living under a rock and watching the show for the past week, Starship, which is a SpaceX developmental program that is supposed to give people the ability to go back to places like the moon and then go to Mars, who is in the series of prototypes. They reached the eighth level of prototype, so they call it SN8, and it actually went on a test flight about 7.8 miles in the air, about 12 and a half kilometers in the air. And they launched it from Boca Chica and it was glorious. I saw it in real time. It was great. The only thing I have to say about the coverage, the live coverage of this is it's only in 720. That bugs me. Why YouTube can't give a higher quality stream from SpaceX to the live stream, I have no idea, but it's I, 720 and it sucks. I don't think that's on YouTube. Not on YouTube. Not on you YouTube. You can specify your settings to what the size of the stream is you want to send out. So it's not YouTube's fault. Our show, YouTube's taking what they're given. Our show is definitely going out 1080 as we record this right now, for sure. Yeah. I Mine always goes out 1080 also. Yeah. So All right. So <laughs> SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> let's get on that. You can go on 4K. Come on, let's go. It. So anyway, they're using Starlink. They got to be cheap. They don't have as good bandwidth. Suncast at the same time in the chat room says <laughs> this is great. This is great. Uh, so they were supposed to launch on Tuesday, which is the day after we recorded the previous episode. They delayed it a day because they were having a problem with the tank. I think, and they so they launched it at 5:45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from Boca Chica on Wednesday, December 9th. Now the goal was to get up in the air, about 12.5 kilometers. It was going to perform some maneuvers. Then it was going to come back to Earth, do a belly flop, and then upright itself, 
and then land, just like you've seen the Falcon 9 rockets just land. And as you've seen previous tests of previous SN articles land at the Boca Chica test flight, which coincidentally, their very first prototype for all this, the Starhopper, was actually there right next to the explosion. And I think I'd have to confirm this, but one of the camera angles, I think either was mounted on Starhopper or was one of the original Starhopper cameras. I don't know which, but the angle was certainly there. It could have been on the pedestal that Starhopper is sitting on. I don't know. I was worried that Starhopper was going to be exploded at the end here. A uh, little spoiler for you there. So SN8 appeared to hit all those milestones except for the final one. It hit the landing mark, but it was coming in way too fast, too much momentum, and it ended up exploding in a dramatic and may I say epic fireball six minutes and 42 seconds after its liftoff. As I talked about last time, this was the first multi-engine test article. All the other test articles were just one engine. This was three. And guys, did you guys see, first of all, let me ask you, did you see the test flight? Yes. Not uh, at, not live, but later, right, yes. but, you, but you saw all the videos? Yes. So when the first engine flamed out, they flamed out all three engines before they dropped back down. When the first engine flamed out, did you see the entire cavity where the rocket bells are housed just totally light up in flames? Did you guys see that? Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was quite the spectacle. And I want to give credit where yes. credit's due because Suncast sent me a message. I think it was in a group chat that we're in. I forgot about it and I clicked in either like right after it happened and backed up or it was right right around the time like it was perfect timing and I saw boom and I loved it. Oh, that, that's great. That's great. Uh, I've been following it for quite some time because my affiliation with Space Force. So a bunch of people that I know at work were, were talking about it. So I just clued in on it at the right time. Anyway, this is something that a bunch of people at work and over the internet had no idea existed. I am one of them. Elon Musk used a term, a new term. I think it's been around for a while, but this is the first time it's gained wide acceptance. So SN8's explosion is deemed a RUD, rapid on-plan disassembly, <laughs> RUD. <laughs> And it did nothing to dampen the spirits of Elon Musk. He was thrilled about it. He tweeted a couple. He tweeted a lot, actually, but he was ecstatic. Now, remember, before the test, he said there was going to be a one in three shot of this being successful. So he was kind of expecting this whole thing to go up in smoke and to get as much test data as he did all the way to the final point out of this one test is great because he's got SN9 on the assembly building, ready to go. He's got SN10 ready to go. He said in a tweet, Mars, here we come. Now, I think that's a little bit premature because he still has several years and uh, several test articles of development to go on. And talking about that, he mentioned that SN9 and SN10 will be very similar to SN8. But he also said that major upgrades are slated for SN15. So 15 will be a new type of test article, probably closer to the actual rocket body itself. Guys, this was fun to watch, and there was no way SpaceX was going to hide anything on this because there was just so much coverage of it. You could go on YouTube and Twitch and see dozens of coverage. There were so many people trying to cover this. 
It is great. It's it reminds me back of the 60s and 70 early 70s when they were just developing stuff, even the early space shuttle flights when there's so much coverage on it. So Elon just has this rash of interest of everything. He's really driving a lot of interest in in this in all demographics, really. So it's really fun to see. And even though the test ended with an epic explosion, it was successful and then they will get that landing right because we already know that they've done this with uh, Falcon 9 and, and the Falcon Heavy before. So I'm I'm looking forward to the next test, whenever that is. SN9, here we come. You, you mentioned SN9, and in the chat, Liberty Do brings up something interesting that I saw come up here um, today. And it was that apparently the SN9, he's saying it fell over. Um, and I'd, I'd seen something about there being... Yeah, it them did. dropping it. it. What, what do you know? What that's about, or is that new enough that you haven't researched it yet? I haven't researched it yet, but yes, it, it did fall over. I was going to cover that in a future episode, and it didn't completely fall all the way over. It it's kind of wedged in the assembly building. It's it's kind of like when when a candle starts falling over on a cake, but the flower catches it as it's going down, that sort of thing. So yeah, they they have some work to do, but. Uh, they might bypass it because of damage assessed and go with SN10, or they might just fix what's wrong with SN9 and go with it because this sorts of things is going to happen. So they're going to have to decide on whether they're going to fix it or just move on to a new one. And these things are really expensive. So I would say fixing is probably a better thing to do. Well, I'm glad that this came up because that meant that we started off with a story about a battery for SMS. Then we had a thing that they tried to spin to being a, what was a purpose? What do you call it? Purposeful crash? Something like Rapid that. Rapid on-plan disassembly. Right. Rudd. So they're, they're putting that marketing out there. But now we can say the SN9 thing was an accident, which brings us into another problem, which is Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk 2077, to be specific. For those that aren't aware, that is a game by a company by the name of CD Projekt Red. That just came out this last Thursday, as or Friday, I guess, as we record this. It is available on PS5, PC, Xbox, Series line, Xbox One line, PS4, and Google Stadia. So there's a variety of different systems there. And I, full disclosure, I purchased the game. I've been playing it on my Xbox Series X. I have maybe 10 or 11 hours in. My wife has 34 hours in somehow. She's been playing a lot more than me. So between the two of us, we've put a lot of time into it and we've seen some glitches. And if you've been paying attention on Twitter or Facebook or Reddit or any of those other places, there are a lot of people that are cranky about the number of bugs that they have found in it. And I guess that's okay to be cranky about, but there's a bigger issue afoot right now. And it's if you have an original Xbox One or an original PS4 and you're trying to play this game, it's near unplayable for a lot of folks. Glitches, freezes, random frame rate drops, graphics not loading properly. It's a mess on the original series of Xboxes, so your Xbox Ones, not your Xbox One Xs, and your PS4s, not your PS4 Pros. So with those systems, you run into a problem where the graphics sometimes scale down dynamically below 720p on a new release game that came out in 2020. That's a problem. And what you might not have heard also, unless you're paying a lot of close attention to this game, is when review copies went out, they primarily gave reviewers PC keys to redeem and play on PC. That's normally how a lot of this stuff works, but multi-platform games, you kind of want to try and look at them on other systems. And they'd also set it up and said that, hey, 
you can't capture and release any game footage of what you've done in your review fo- review until the day the game comes out. So review embargo lifted a few days before, and reviewers could not use any graphics that they had captured themselves on their rigs. They had to use the pre-rendered footage that CD Projekt Red had put out. And that's when it started trickling out that the PC is the best experience for the game, which should not surprise anyone. Followed up by the Xbox Series X and the PS5, both do a pretty good job of running it. Have a couple places where resolution scales down and you can go watch Digital Foundry's videos and find out a lot more about that. But like I said, if you are playing on an original PS4, an original Xbox One, it is near unplayable. And folks didn't have a chance to review it on that before it came out. So there is a large player install base that all they have is their original PS4s and Xbox Ones. They got this game and it just runs like poop, for lack of a better term. And CD Projekt Red is taking legitimate black eye for this. And in fact, they did issue an official statement today from the studio saying, first of all, we'd like to start by apologizing to you for not showing the game on base last gen consoles before it premiered. And in consequence, not allowing you to make a more informed decision about your purchase. We should have paid more attention to making it play better on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. First of all, duh, duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> second, yeah, and it, whether it was their intent or not, it sure comes off like they tried to hide the fact that it did not play very well on these last-gen consoles because outside of your PC install base, that's where your biggest number of game purchases are going to be is because most people have not upgraded to a next-gen console and most people have not probably not upgraded to a PS4 Pro or Xbox Series X. So there are a lot of folks that are legitimately concerned. It seems suspicious. Um, yes. Yeah, that that sounds very odd. And unfortunately, like, I do think it is a real misrepresentation um, if the, like, 99 or whatever, 90% of your reviews were based off of another platform and it, it's impacting the game. It'd be one thing if it's like, well, it looks slightly different, but if it's like actually affecting the playability, that is huge because it's just setting people up for a good review when it doesn't happen. The only reviews I saw prior to launch, and I recall reading it and pretty much every one of them said, this is a review that was done on PC because we do not have review copies on our consoles. That's crazy. Yes. So they are going to try and make it right. The studio added it will fix bugs in the overall experience. The first update they just released, and there are two more coming. After the holidays, two major patches are coming in January and February, where details will be announced prior to release. In their announcement, they said together, these should fix the most prominent problems gamers are facing on last-gen consoles. Now, while CG Project Red admits these patches won't make the PS4 and Xbox one versions look like a high-end PC or one of the new consoles. They promised the update should help close the gap between old and next-gen. So if you are someone right now who bought Cyberpunk 2077 on your original Xbox One or PS4, what do you do? Well, there are reports going on right now that refunds have been offered to unhappy players. The studio also confirmed this. CD Projekt Red in their release asked customers to use the refund system on PSN or Xbox for digital purchases. So you can go on there and be like, hey, the game's unplayable, and they will return your money. You will lose the co- your license to that game, so you'll no longer be able to play it. Now, if you bought a physical copy, they're asking if you want to return it, take it back to the store you originally purchased it from, and get your money back there. If that is not possible, the studio did give out an email address that they provided in the release 
that said that they will hope they will try and assist you if you contact them at that address. One thing to note, that email address is only active until December 21st, and then they will be disabling it. So it is good for seven days. You have a seven day window effectively right now if you bought a physical copy and your brick and mortar store won't take it back to return the game. Is that common down in the States where brick and mortar stores will take back open games? Because like up here, I, they, they they don't. Most of the places. It's it's pretty uncommon actually okay. for brick and mortar stores to take it back unless you are in the holiday time frame. Holiday time frame return policies kind of get a little wonky on some stuff. But open. Yeah, but open. Because yeah. like up here, you, yeah. can, you can take back sealed like any time of year within the return policy as long as it's sealed. I think it, I think it varies on where you go, to be honest. Like I know... Specifically, like Best Buy has some kind of caveat about open games returns. And I think I remember seeing something like that at Target. You probably have to check with your retailer. And, you know, realistically, you want to check this as soon as possible since that email address as of December 21st will no longer work if you bought a physical copy of the game. I bought it digitally, like I said, but at the same time, I'm playing on a next gen console. So my problems have been minimal. I still have my Xbox One X. I was tempted to put it in there and see how it played, but that's still not going to be representative of playing on an original Xbox or an Xbox One S because they're not equivalent uh, spec wise. That's what I'm trying to say. Come over here, Chris, and put it on one of my machines and you can figure it out. (laughs) I I could do that, but I'm lazy. I'm lazy. It's well documented. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is well documented. You can go online. You can go look in the Xbox Series X, the Xbox One no, subreddits. I mean, it's well documented that you're lazy. Oh, well, yeah, I don't dispute that either. <laughs> I think I think Hannah still has her old Xbox upstairs, and it's one of the One S's. So I could test it on that. But again, I don't feel like I need to test it myself when there's plenty of game reviewers and those that are in the games industry that are reporting this issue. I don't think I need to go check it myself. And then especially when the developer of said game issues a release like this, yeah. uh, it becomes more and more obvious to me that this game needed to bake for another six months, probably. Well, I'm glad to hear that you have a next-gen console because the majority of people couldn't get one. So, hey, at least you get to enjoy this game. Well, I mean, there's a fair number of people that have them, but not they're not available on demand yet. That is true. So Liberty Dude in the chat asked, for those that bought it for a holiday gift for somebody else should they return the game now if it is sealed you can return it whatever the holiday return window is so no i don't think you would need to so say hypothetically and this shouldn't be the case steven bought this game for his son don't do it as rated m it's incredibly violent this is a game where you can even customize your genitalia don't buy it for your son i need to go to the store after this (laughs) (laughs) just buy it digitally so I would say if you bought it for someone, a physical copy, and it is still sealed in an box, give it to them and then mention to them perhaps that, hey, there's been a lot of controversy about this, about how well it plays on your systems. You should check online and see what it says about your system and then make a decision as to whether you want to return it back to the store or not. Because once you open it, you're going to be SOL. Well, I'm, I want to hear more about this, but I feel like your experience is, is like, because I want to know more about this game, especially because you had me at genitalia, but <laughs> I feel like your experience, now we're in a weird situation where your experience is what many other people wouldn't get. Because again, with the limited availability for consoles right. and stuff, right? Like, 
that's all. It's so such a weird situation. So, so to be fair, the situation also is if you are playing on an Xbox One X or a PS4 Pro, these problems that people are having on a PS4 and an Xbox One are also minimized because of the additional hardware that is on those boxes. So those are kind of like the happy middle ground between last gen and next gen consoles right now. And but from what I have read. They're having issues here and there, but it's not as prevalent as what is seen on the last gen baseline consoles, just because those are what, eight years old, six, eight years old at this point in time. I mean, how do you make a game work on that? I mean, it realistically what they should have done, which they were never going to do once it got delayed to this certain point has been like, look, we're either baking it for another six months to make sure it works on these systems or it is only available on PS4 Pro and Xbox One X and up to make it work. Because I can't imagine from a developer standpoint, the nightmare it is to try and make it work on hardware that's as old as the last gen baseline consoles. And there's also a lesson to be learned here for Microsoft when it comes to Halo Infinite, which they've already delayed until sometime in 2021, where they promised that it would work on all current Xbox devices, plus the old all Xbox One devices. Maybe they need to revisit and say, uh, maybe we shouldn't be trying to support the OG Xbox Ones because... They're going to get in a similar position as CD Projekt Red. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting us know about that. That's an interesting story. And I don't know. Now I want to try it on my PC for some reason. I mean, it should run pretty well on PC. It runs all right on the Xbox that I have. The only problem is HDR is broken on it. So all the HDR stuff's blown out by a lot. Gotcha. Well, that was our bad news section, and we're going to quickly go through our extra, extra points. We got two here. Uh, the second one, which we'll have to just do a very quick Cliff's Notes on it because there's so much goodness in there. This is our good news. And the SP, I'll turn it over to you for our first extra, extra here. For those that missed it last week, the NASA Artemis program selected its 18 18- program partners, I forget the exact wording, but it's basically the 18 astronauts that will be going to the moon or backup crew to go to the moon. There's nine women, one of which will be the first one to step back on the moon. NASA's already made that commitment. So if you are one of those nine women, you have a one in nine chance of being the first one to step on the moon in over 50 years. That is awesome. There's nine men including Kel Lindgren, who allegedly, probably a little bit more than allegedly, was the mastermind behind using a Baby Yoda plushie doll, the Baby Yoda is now known as Grogu, by the way, as the zero-G indicator aboard the SpaceX Crew-1 mission. I know Kel, matter of fact, we were just messaging back and forth right before this, so uh, he is psyched about this. It took me a couple of days to get in touch with him, by the way. He was overrun with uh, work and congratulations. So he was one of the 18 that were selected to go to the moon. For all 18, I say congratulations. I wish I was one of you. I was supposed to be one of you, but it just wasn't in the cards. And I think you will entirely enjoy the experience. Don't worry about it. You've been going to Mars for years now. We know that. You visit Suncast regularly there. Like, mm-hmm. who cares about the moon if you've been to Mars, SP? Well, you know why he's going to Mars, right? Because Suncast needs more deliveries of these goodies right here. Oh, the Wally Tootsie Pops. Roll Pop. Chris, the why same you bag that's been sitting next to my desk for four years now for this ongoing gag. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Chris, you should go then. You should personally deliver that to him next time. We just established how lazy I am, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you have met Suncast in person. So the next time you meet him in person, then you give him the bag. If that just happens to be on Mars, so be it. (laughs) But I'm lazy. Hey, if somebody's going to give you a free trip to Mars, you going to say no? Am I coming back? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll probably consider it. So okay. what we've learned is that Chris is going to drop off a bag to Suncast at an undisclosed location. Is that what we just figured I'll out just here? I'm just going to throw him out the, sp- the airlock as we go by and keep going. <sighs> Fair enough. And the next thing and last thing I should say in the extra extra that we want to quickly touch on, I'll turn it over to our, our number one Disney fan here, Chris Farrell. There was a bit of a... I love the blind toss here that I didn't know I was getting. There was a bit of news. You had a whole podcast on it yesterday. It's not exactly a blind toss. When I had show notes in front of me. (laughs) I don't need a rundown of everything, but there was a bunch (laughs) of information that came out at the Disney Investor News, right? Yes, boatloads of stuff coming. There is original Pixar and Disney animation content they'll be coming. But they did say something to the effect of 10 new Star Wars series slash movies and something like 15 total Marvel, Disney Plus, and movies were announced. It was insanity. Some of it sounds really interesting. Some of it has me kind of scratching my head as to why I care, but I'm intrigued. And off the top of my head, a few things that did pop out that I was curious about. uh, Patty Jenkins is directing a Rogue Squadron movie. And supposedly she has been working on it for a while, I had read, and they're pretty much done with the script and story outline. So it could be coming sooner than later. I'm excited for that one. And for those that might be wondering why that name's familiar, she directed Wonder Woman in Wonder Woman 1984. So there's some uh, legitimacy there. I don't want to get too delved into the specifics because there was a ton in this announcement. There's too much, quite frankly, and Disney didn't really package it very well, in my opinion, because everybody's still trying to grasp their, get a handle on it. But I just want to ask you, you guys both, actually subscribe to Disney Plus right now, right? So I want to ask you, first, does this entice you to keep your subscription, even though the subscription is going up? And then secondly, are you really excited about everything? I know Chris just mentioned it. Are you excited about everything or are you only excited about a small percentage of it? Well, first, before we answer that, let me just say, I can see a week into the future, and I don't want to talk about the subscription change because I suspect that a week in the future, my my mind is telling me through time travel that we might talk about that in a week from now on the next episode of The Gunna Geek Show. Uh, in regards to your question about canceling and things like that, it's a non-issue for me at this point just because of the fact that um, this is like a bucket of information We've seen things be confirmed by different sources before and uh, creators before, and then they retract them. Uh, The last time Disney dropped a bunch of information, they didn't have a great track record with the follow through on that. Talking about Star Wars here, look at all of the different projects that were in the hopper that have kind of faded movies and television wise. I understand some of those are still allegedly coming, but they did a huge drop of information of what was supposed to come. And a lot of it faded away. So I, I, truthfully, I'm not putting a ton of stock into this information, especially because this was at the investors call and think a little bit about that. You're, you're obviously wanting to put your best foot forward and things like that. I think we are going to get a lot of these out, but I'm not going to put a bunch of stock into it because especially of like, when's it going to come? 
I think we've talked about with Michelle Ely, past guest of the show on here, how she does the subscription rotation. So 10 series, unless they're like, these are the exact specific dates for sure. They're, they're in the can, ready to go. And they go through the year. You might put yourself into that same rotation where it's like, that's cool. I'll just wait and catch up with the end of the year and, and cancel for a while. But but their plan is slightly different if, from what Disney's doing because they did actually put dates to most of these. And if you go and look at them as they lay out, it seems like it's pretty much between 2021 and 2023, I think it is, is where all of these are supposed to be coming. Aside from the Taika Waititi Star Wars film, which they didn't announce any date on. And if I had to guess, what they're going to end up doing is let, let's, let's split things up into months for lack of a better term or periods. Period one, we've got Star Wars content coming. Period one ends, period two starts, say, eight weeks later, new Marvel content. Marvel content wraps, then new Star Wars content. And they're going to keep putting these out like one or two shows at a time to keep people subscribed year-round to kind of stop that. Oh, I'm only going to subscribe right now as we're seeing people only subscribe for The Mandalorian because that's the most watched content on Disney+. Plus. So that Disney's got like a two-month window right now where everyone is subscribed before people drop off. I think the model they're going after is We've got a lot of this good, high-quality content in the trailers we saw for TV. That's pretty high-quality because Disney's throwing a bunch of money at it. I think their plan is to stretch this stuff out so there is always at least one show that is getting that buzz on Disney Plus that everyone's wanting to watch and talk about the water cooler after work or something like that. I have so much to say about this. We simply don't have time to cover it. I have thoughts on, is this content too much? I have thoughts on the Disney actual deficit with streaming content at $2.8 billion that they intend on ramifying in a couple of years. I have thoughts on the specific content that I don't care about in each of the areas. And it wasn't just Star Wars and Marvel. It was Pixar and other things. I have thoughts on a bunch of reboots and rehash of old stuff. I just can't. There's not enough time to run into everything right now. So uh, it's it was a massive announcement. And we'll be covering it not only next week, but throughout the first weeks of next year. You bring up a really good point here, and I think it's the perfect place to leave it. Number one, this is exactly why we call you Star Stargate Thoughts Pioneer. I believe that's why it's your middle name is Thoughts, because you have thoughts. Uh, second. That nobody wants to hear. <laughs> second. It is a lot of information, which is why if you're listening or watching this, you should come to gunnageek.com slash discord and chat with us there because there's so much conversation to be had about this. And you can come check out our discord and have some conversation with us over there about that. Now, let's go ahead and move on to a special segment that we've got this week, which is almost Chris Taps That App. I think we're going to call it Chris Taps That Phone. You know, Chris, I have a phone and you have a phone and they're both pixel phones. That's I, true. I would say we're pixel buddies. I think we are. But you're not pixel two buddies anymore. No, we're not. We're pixel four A buddies. Why is that, Chris? <laughs> so if you were watching everything on this show as we were going towards Black Friday, we talked about some of the possible deals we were looking at or things we might consider buying during Black Friday. And I had said, Hey, if there is a good sale on the Pixel 5, 
I may pick that up. There wasn't a good sale on the Pixel 5. They knocked 50 bucks off of it, which was really disappointing. But what did end up getting me, and this was just by accident, Black Friday, I cruise on the Slick Deals website to try and find deals that I may or may not want. And I looked and they said, hey, Pixel 4a 5G, they're giving insane trade value on some of these phones. And I went, well, what's insane trade value? For reference, I had put my Pixel 2 XL on there before and they were going to give me something like 60 bucks. And that was that was a no-go. So I went on Google's uh, the Google store. I put a 4a 5G in my cart. I said, yeah, I have a phone to trade in. It's my Pixel 2 XL, 64 gigs of storage. Everything works fine. The screen's in perfect condition. And it went, yeah, you can have 235 bucks for that. And I went, <laughs> okay, I'm in because you can't even buy one on swap. You can't even sell one on swap off or anything close to that. So for 235 bucks, I was totally in. And they were doing that for the Pixel 2, the Pixel 3, and I think to a lesser extent, even Pixel 1 phone prices had gone up. And that also included if your screen was broken, you only lost $10 if your screen was cracked or broken. So you could have traded in, in my case, the same phone with a broken screen for $225. It seems obvious to me Google was trying to get a bunch of people to buy the 4A 5G and move on to that next generation of phone. So it worked. (laughs) And the bonus for you, by the way, which we should highlight, that people may not really think about, but connect is you have now the 4A 5G. I have the 4A. So baked into that value was one upping me, which I know is a lot. Well, there's always a bit of value in one upping Steven. I'll be honest here. Yeah. And, and one of the other considerations for why I was looking into upgrading is if you're not familiar, it is December 14th as we record this episode. December this month is the last security update that comes out for the Pixel 2 line of phones. After that, Google will no longer be issuing security updates, which should be on normally are on like a monthly basis. It's end of life at this point of time where I had some concern there of being like, hmm, I'm not going to be getting security updates. I'm not sure I want to flash it with one of these other variants of Android that people are doing to keep these security updates in place. I should probably consider upgrading. So I did. I ended up getting the Pixel 4a 5G. And for those that aren't familiar, they all come with 128 gigs of storage and they all cost 499 bucks. There is no variant. There is no separate storage tier, nothing like that. There are no different colors even. You get a black 4A 5G for 500 bucks regular price. Obviously, it's going to cost me less than that because it was 235 bucks of trade-in credit I was going to get with my Pixel 2 XL that I sent in. And side note, I placed this order on the 26th or 27th of November. It took me eight days to get my trade-in kit from Google via United States Postal Service mail, which was annoying, but sort of understandable. Then when I sent it back to them, it was at my house for a day. It was supposed to be delivered this last Friday to Google. I ran the number online and checked it, and it said it was undeliverable because they couldn't get to the location in which it was addressed. And I went, uh, what the hell does that mean? Uh, So I talked to Google support. They said it shouldn't be a problem. And when I checked the uh, tracking number just before the show, it had been dropped off. So I should be getting my $235 trade-in credit soon. It's just, it was a little nerve-wracking. And I was like, oh my God, I've only got 30 days from the beginning of when this order started to when it's sent back to complete this whole process and get my cash back because I want my money back. That's what it comes down to. I want my money back. But it seems like everything is going to go accordingly. And I will say this, I did follow the same path I did last time I traded in, which was I recorded a video of myself wiping the phone while the phone was being wiped Literally turn the phone from every corner and every side to show that there are no dents, no damage, anything like that. 
showed myself putting it in the envelope, sealing the envelope once everything was wrapped and putting the label on, showed the label to the camera, read the tracking number, read the order number, then saved and uploaded that to YouTube as a private video. So if for some reason I don't get my 235 bucks, I can be like, hey, Google, this thing was in pristine condition. Oh, crap. I just triggered my smart assistants. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get into the phone itself. Some initial impressions here. I went from a Pixel 2 XL to the Pixel 4a 5G, and I was worried that the size difference would be problematic because I'd seen some folks complaining that the Pixel 5 was small compared to their XL variants. I am pleased to say that we all know the 4a 5G had the bigger screen, when I literally put the phones side by side, they were basically the same size, the bricks. Then I took the phone cases and put them side by side. They're effectively almost the same size. The only difference is the screen is slightly larger on the 4A 5G for me. So that's a win for me. So as I'm delving into it, it's not a cutting edge processor. Steven talked about that on his Pixel 4A. He's got the Snapdragon 720, I think it is, and the Pixel 5 and 4A 5G have the 765G processor, which is faster than the 820 or 821 Snapdragon that was in the Pixel 2 line. So I haven't noticed any slowdowns. All of the apps I'd had before run just fine, if not better, but we're also at the very beginning of stages with this processor. We'll have to see how it works over time. I did notice there was a new version of the Google Assistant that was on my phone. They have now since rolled out that same version of the Google Assistant, I think, to all of their devices where it was a light up bar at the bottom of the screen that showed up and then text that would come up instead of having a card that came up to show you anything when you were talking to the assistant. That was cool to see. Got the first pixel drop and we talked about that last week, the things that were in there. And I was pleasantly surprised that pretty much everything that was in the pixel drop came to the Pixel 4a 5G. That was a win. One of the things that I'd kind of forgotten about until I got the phone, uh, let me hold it up here. And at the top of the phone, you see there's a headphone jack. I haven't had a headphone jack in... How long now? Welcome back. <laughs> you can use it for podcasting now. I mean, yeah, I, it was strange. I went, oh, yeah, I've got a headphone jack again. But at this point in time, I've already adjusted, use my Bluetooth headphones for everything that it's it's nice to have, but I don't really see myself using it. It'll be nice when I go back to the office at some point in time that I won't have to use the USB-C to a headphone jack to be able to listen to things. But uh, I don't see myself using it in day to day life anymore. Uh, So one of the things that was new to me, and it's not new in phones in general anymore, but to me, because I had an older phone, is the hole punch selfie camera on the front side of the phone. And for the most part, I've adjusted to it being there. It is a little strange for me, though, because whenever my eye goes up to the top of the screen, look at the time, it's always pushed a little further over so it's not covered up by the selfie camera. And I have seen that some apps aren't quite properly set up to accommodate the hole punch, specifically if you're using the Facebook app and you open up a news story or something like that that someone has shared, there's generally a Facebook logo at the top of that page, and it runs right through where the hole punch camera is. So it's like book is what it shows up as for me. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not a bad thing. It's more just I noticed and went, huh, that's weird. And I said, I'm pretty sure Google has built stuff in there to accommodate for the hole punch cameras. It's just not implemented properly in the uh, Facebook app, which go figure. That's weird. I don't have that issue. I wonder if it's a display difference because you. I think it's a bigger, it's a bigger display. Bigger display. Something. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So when we go to what the phone feels like in hand, I, I ran it without a case for a couple of days while the case was coming in the mail. And the feel of it reminded me a lot of the pic, not the Pixel, excuse me, the Nexus 5 that I had many years ago. 
So for those that aren't aware, the 4A and the 4A 5G, they're plastic frames, plastic shells, whereas the Pixel 5 is metal with a plastic covering on it to protect the metal. So it felt sturdy to me. It felt fine to me, but it was also strange to kind of step back from where I had been before, which was a metal frame, metal case, metal exterior to the plastic. I kind of like it because I'm less worried about dropping it and causing damage because it's plastic and it's in a case now. So who really cares? Uh, one thing that's also interesting for me and it's in the name, this phone has 5G service is capable of doing 5G. If you want, if you have a Verizon plan, I think you have to buy a different variant of it because Verizon's using a different type of 5G, like the ultra wideband, I think it is. I don't know. It costs an extra hundred dollars in the Pixel 5. I don't know what they do on the 4A 5G for it, but I was eligible for 5G. I have 4G LTE up until recently and I went, okay, let me go on AT&T's website and see what it would cost the difference for 5G. I said, if it's only a couple extra bucks a month, maybe I'd consider it. So when I plugged in the information, it's actually like seven or eight bucks per month cheaper for me to upgrade to the 5G plan that gives me more unlimited data, a higher point where they cut me off and more uh, tethering gigabytes before they cut me off also. Oh, and I also keep my HBO Max subscription. So I was like, okay, for seven or eight bucks difference a month cheaper, I'll upgrade to that. And I did it all online. It was easy enough to do. And within minutes, I had a 5G signal. So for comparison's sake, I said, let's see what 5G speeds are compared to 4G speeds. At my house on the 5G network, which is all going to vary based off where you live and weather conditions and whether you're by a window or what the walls of your house are, but just arbitrarily 158 megabits per second down 35 megabits per second up. And when I was on my 4g LTE, it was probably about 75 up and 20, excuse me, 75 down and 25 up roughly. So th there was a little bit of a difference there, but I have also found and others have found online that 5g is oftentimes faster when you have an ideal scenario. But if you're in less than ideal conditions, be it bad weather or in a building that's got thick walls, your 4G LTE is probably going to do better than 5G because 4G goes through walls better. So just be smart with it. They did just recently put a feature in the Pixel where it'll automatically switch back and forth between whichever network is better for it. So once I actually go back out into the world again, maybe I'll see a difference there. Uh, like I mentioned, I had no issues with none of my with any of my apps not working. Everything was good. The only thing that was interesting for me is when it brought all of my apps over and populated my front my first home screen. Rather, there was a uh, no longer an icon there for Android Auto like I'd had before. And I researched and then kind of remembered. Oh yeah, they baked Android Auto in, and it's just supposed to smart launch now. You don't have to launch it yourself. So on old phones that already had the app installed separately, they just left the button there for you to launch. And I believe they yanked it out for the rest of them going forward. So just as soon as you plug it into something that's Android Auto compatible, it knows to swap over. So I didn't lose anything. And I did find that it was quicker to check what apps were updated and were not because the constant slow point for me in the past had been open the Google Play Store, go to the My Apps and look to see what needed to be updated. And it would just kind of freeze on that screen for about five seconds. Doesn't do that here. I think it's just a matter of newer processor so it does better. So to wrap things up, in regards to the Pixel 4a 5G. Overall, I'm really happy with the upgrade. Going from a Pixel 2 XL to the 4a 5G, pretty much everything is an upgrade. There are a few things that are different, uh, specifically no longer IP68 certified, meaning I can't drop my phone in a bowl of water and feel safe that it's gonna come out okay. They did not do those kind of uh, water sealing 
features or anything like that on the lower cost phone. But I'm in I'm in the phone for like 250 bucks when it's all said and done. So slightly less concerned there. Uh, like I said, price point and security patches were main main reasons for doing it for 250 bucks or so. And then another three years of security updates and OS updates. I'm okay with this decision. And I also had the thought in the back of my head of hmm, if Google puts out a Pixel 6 next year that's on their own silicon, which has been rumored. I'm okay with having only being 235 bucks into a Pixel 4a 5G, mm. trading it in for whatever they'll give me, which would probably be roughly that, and potentially getting a Pixel 6 on Google Silicon. I'm okay with that. And coming from you, Chris, that's not, you're not one to upgrade your phone every year. So this would be like a special deal because of the money involved and the technology involved specifically. Other, otherwise, you'd be comfortable staying with the phone for a few years, I would guess. I think so. My only concern on this, and it's been a concern I've had since they announced the the A line of the Pixels, is longevity over the years because they're always a slightly lesser processor at this point in time. And that works great right now in year one. But what are we looking at like year two to year three? After that year two mark ends, what does the phone look like then and how well does it work? That's still one of my concerns. But that's uh, not every year. That's like correct. two years that's every or two three years, years, roughly. Yeah. And I think it's worth considering. I know you got to deal with the trade in and stuff, but considering the base price difference. So if you're trading it in sooner, you're paying less for it up front. So it doesn't need to yeah. last as long. Yeah, also true. So that, that was one of my thoughts. And I'll probably roll with it for a couple of years unless Google does something crazy and drops their own silicon next year to get away from the Snapdragon processors because then I'm intrigued and I'll probably want to play with it. Uh, the 765G processor that's in it, it's the same that's in the Pixel 5. That gave me a lot of confidence in upgrading because they're going to want to try and support the Pixel 5 as long as they can. And I found it to be pretty snappy. I haven't seen it slowed down any, but also keep in mind, I don't play a ton of games on my cell phones. Like the games I play is like crossword puzzles or like random puzzle games. I'm not playing PUBG or Fortnite or something like that. So I can't speak to how well that processor handles that. Other reviewers have said it seems we're on fine with that. So cool. Glad that works. Uh, th this phone does have dual speakers. I like that as well. And different than the uh, Pixel 5, the uh, top speaker is not the one that is a vibration-based speaker that vibrates the glass to make the sound. It's two regular speakers. So the sound, I think, is better on the 4A 5G than the 5 by all accounts. And this is a... Sorry, go ahead, SP. That's one thing that I've noticed with the 12, iPhone 12 Pro Max is I, I wasn't expecting I should have because I knew the specs, but I'm actually getting stereo, quote unquote, sound. Now, it's not front facing stereo sound, but I'm getting sound from the speaker and then mm -hmm. sound from the, the speaker on the bottom in a stereo format. Now, it's not forward facing, but it is stereo sound. I was uh, that I didn't have that with the eight. That was yeah. something that shocked me. Well, it's only one forward-facing speaker on the 4A 5G. It's one downward so, and one forward-facing. Same, so same, same, same with the yeah, iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and then the last pro I had on here, and this is just because I'm with AT&T that this comes up, is AT&T did not start supporting Wi-Fi calling on Pixel phones until the Pixel 3. So this is the first time I've been able to use Wi-Fi calling on AT&T. And when I'm in my basement, prior to them putting in a new tower and swapping over to 5G, the signal was, let's put it this way, not great. I was lucky to get one bar in the basement. So I had been rocking a micro cell for a while, but now I have Wi-Fi calling. So it's regular when I go down to the basement or it's a bad day weather-wise. 
I'll just see on the top of the screen, it says AT&T Wi-Fi calling instead of just AT&T service. And it's worked really well for me. I've been pleasantly surprised with it. So those are the things I liked. There are a few things I didn't like, but it's really tough to do because the compromises with this phone are all things I kind of expected for the price point. And they're all things I kind of accepted because it wasn't a flagship phone. But there are two things, I guess, con-wise, I, I can bring up. First, there's no high refresh rate display on this phone. It's only 60 hertz. Pixel 5, I think, is doing 90 hertz. A bunch of iPhones are doing 120 hertz. Honestly, I don't notice it because I've never had a phone with a high refresh rate display. I have it in my iPad, but the iPad's so big, I don't think it really makes it feel the same in my head. So some people may have an issue with that if they're going from, say, a modern Samsung phone to the 4A 5G or the 4A. I, I didn't care. The, the real trade-off that I have a problem with that I need to be cognizant of is the glass for the display. I believe they're either using Gorilla Glass 2 or 3 for that. And the current version of Gorilla Glass is either 5 or 6. So that was one of their cost-cutting measures. So I did have concerns about the fact that it is Gorilla Glass 2, which I think is the same as was in my Pixel 2 XL, which I ran without a screen protector, but I, I felt wary about it. So I bought a set of screen protectors and put a tempered glass mm. screen protector on there for now. And we'll see how long I keep that on there before I finally realize, oh yeah, scratches happen, whatever, I don't care. I so, don't want to jinx myself, but I haven't run a screen protector since my four days, my iPhone four days. Yeah, I honestly, I don't know that I would have done it had I not just been reading up on things recently and it made a point of saying that this is a version of Gorilla Glass that is several versions behind what is in the current ones. And it kind of made me just go, I'm worried I, about that. I will say that I personally don't care much for running it free of it because I like my Pixel 2, the last little I don't know, few months I ran, ran it. There was no cracks, but there was for sure scuffs and um, like little micro scratches, I guess you would call mm -hmm. them. Yeah, I mean, oh. that'll happen. But honestly, that that was the biggest thing that I don't like about the phone is that I don't like that they used a lesser version of Gorilla Glass, but I like the price point. So I kind of expected something like that. It's just, it makes me feel uneasy a little bit. So I mitigated as best I could with a screen protector. Well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts here. I think that those, those are really interesting after about a week. Um, it sounds like mostly favorable and I think that's really interesting considering how techy we are. Right. And, and, the fact, like, I think you do more with your phone than I do, right? So for me, I used I, to. For, for me, I've long said, like, our 4A line would, the A line would be great for me. I said that with the 3A. And to hear you, though, say that so far you're mostly happy with it is really interesting to talk about the state of phones. So one thing I did forget to mention, and I have it in my notes, I just skipped it for some reason, is that the 765G Snapdragon processor, it sips battery. Like, when this thing is idle, it does not burn battery. Like I was sitting on my desk for four hours and I dropped 1% in battery when mm. I wasn't doing anything with it. Whereas other phones I've had, Pixel phones included, I'd be down five to 10% depending on what's going on. And even when I'm actively using the phone, it seems like I'm using less battery. For comparison's sake, my Pixel 2 XL was about a year and a half old because I'd gotten a refurbished one as a replacement. At the end of the day, just regular amount of use, it'd be at about, 30, 20 to 30%. The Pixel 4a XL, using it the same amount, and the battery I think is slightly larger in the 4a XL, I'd be at like 80 or 70%. So 
So I've gotten to the point now where I'm plugging it in every other day because I'm not putting a ton of use in on the phone. I use my phone a lot when I'm not working. When I'm working, I don't use my phone at all. I don't even have my phone near me. But when I am not working, I have my phone with me quite a bit and the battery ends up, even though the 12 battery is better than my eight just because it's three years newer, right? My battery still does eventually drain. Now, I'm surprised sometimes where it's still at like 99 or 98%. I've been using it for a couple of hours. But if I'm using it consistently throughout the day, like if I'm at home, like Saturday or Sunday where I'm like using my phone quite a bit, I will notice the battery draining. So I guess I'm a power phone user. I get the screen reports and I, I guess I use my phone quite a bit when I can. But when I'm working, it's just charging. It's sitting there charging. So it's not using any. Well, thank you for doing that. And I just want to give a special extra shout out to you there, Chris Farrell, because I never thought about the Wi-Fi calling and I just took a look and uh, sure enough, it is there on the 4A and uh, I went to enable it and it's walking through my carrier's login and acknowledgement page. So I'll do that after we're done recording today. Because, it is slow to set up. Yeah, I, I'd never even thought about it. So thank you, Chris. You enlightened me again, as always. You're it's welcome. On, yeah, it's on my 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 12. I think it's been on the iPhones for quite some time. So it's interesting that we're able to compare here on the show the experience with the 12s versus the Pixel 4As because uh, even though the 12 is is more of a power phone, I would say than the Pixel 4A, there's there's just so much new things that come out after a couple of years. It's it's cool saying, oh, I can do this. Well, I can do this, or no, I can't. That would be cool to do that sort of thing. And before you write to js at gunnageek.com, we know a line of the Pixel, and I would argue the Pixel line in general, very different than the iPhone 12 Pro Max target. Okay, we get it. There's difference, but we still like to compare here, especially because they're in some ways opposite ends of the spectrum. So you can send that email to js at gunnageek.com if you want or don't, but we understand they're very different targets. We've talked about it before on the show. I wish the iPhone SE, I guess, it's just basically a clone of the 8 out there right now. I wish they would have upgraded that to, to something else. They might next year, I don't know, but I needed a phone now. So that's what it was. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we go, I just want to mention to everybody, you should check out gunnageeknetwork.com. There's lots of amazing geeky content, including the podcast that you can find Chris and SP also on. Chris Farrell does all things good and nerdy. SP does, does Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he also does better podcasting with me as well. But uh, we won't plug that. Oh, wait, I did. So for episode 358 of the official gunnageek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, hey, one more episode for 2020. It's the Christmas edition. Check it out next week. And I'm SP saying, hope you guys are having a good week and we will see you next week. I'm Chris and I have a pixel. Pixel buddies! For life. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. 
And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.